Peace. Peace. Good rise, everyone. Good dawning to you all. I will that everyone has um, rested well and you had some peaceful visions. You had sweet, sweet rest. There's a big difference there when we call rest sweet. It's got a deeper metaphysical <clears throat> meaning and value to it. So, so that's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to will that you all had sweet rest last night. Yeah, um, you know, there's so much that's, um, that's happening. And uh, like I say, it's always important to kind of tune in. You know, peace first, last. You know, peace, uh, Christian. Good rise to you. Well, not good rise, but yeah, um, I guess it's pushing more to good afternoon <laughs> you know greetings Naya greetings good doing it to you you know but um Kiki J good rise to you yeah yeah good rise good rise you know but um yeah like I said man I hope you're having some sweet rest peace JR peace to Nika you know and um you know you're able to kind of shut down the mentation you know Peace, Soul Care Collective. Thank you, Kashia. <laughs> You're the only one that cares. <laughs> um, yeah, peace, Allison and Olga. Greetings to you. Greetings to you. You know, I will that you had, a, um, like I said, a restful night. And more importantly, a sweet rest. At some point, you know, I spoke about rest yesterday. Yesterday, of course, and... Um, Spoke about the internal verse or the internal. Yeah, it's noon there. Yeah, I figure it's about, yeah, it's about uh, that afternoon time. Yeah, where you're at, Christian. You know, yeah, it's like 7 a.m. over here. Juanisha, good rise to you. Um, you know, I spoke about rest with you a bit yesterday. And um, I guess more so the, the interior idea of rest or the act of getting rest within your interior which um obviously can be extremely helpful you know in terms of regenerating yourself you see you said you rested practicing your mind yesterday that's good that's good you know there's a um especially for women sometimes women do tend to to kind of think excessively but really they're more feeling they think they're thinking but they're actually feeling um and there's a lot that bubbles inside. And that's why it's so important that women do. You know, I, I say that so often that women are the active force. If you understand the feminine energy metaphysically, you understand, okay, yeah, why women should actually be the ones doing more so than uh, mentating. But um, <laughs> because we, we, again, we live in a society that has devolved itself or seeks to devolve um, our understanding of gender which is a sacred law. I mean, it's, it's even one of the hermetic laws, the law of gender. You know, peace, brother, brother Ramon. Um, you know, it says that we all should be studying the same way, studying the same thing, thinking about the same thing, and should have peace, and should have uh, equal footing and, you know, this whole celebration of, of information. But truthfully, Peace, Barbara Cruz. Men should be doing the thinking and the celebration, and women should be actually be doing the fulfilling. 
based on our metaphysical standpoints and, and where we're structured and framework. And that dispels a lot of that, like extra, a lot of times women like, man, I go to sleep at night and I'm still analyzing and I'm, and I stay up all night. I can't even rest because I'm just up thinking and things like that. And, you know, even if you read like Proverbs 31, where it talks about how lamp doesn't go out at night, peace, Baba Victor, what it's talking about there is that like at night she's doing, you know, she's like, her lamp doesn't go out because she's actually up working, you know? So sometimes that can be a, a great tool, you know, when you're having trouble resting the mind is actually do actively go do something, you know, um, and move a little forward. Peace plan OG, move a little forward on, on your plans. Um, and you'll notice that, um, moving more into your space, peace ricochet, moving more into your space will allow you to start balancing you know, that sweet rest is a totally different type of science whenever you see it mentioned um, in ancient books. You know, there's the deep sleep, like you have in, in, in Vedic systems, you know, um, where you have that deep sleep. Peace, Nikki Love, you know, peace, Pad Mini, 144. Um, there's, a, there's a deep sleep, which I think I, I feel like I did break down at one point. Um, or I referenced it in a segment when I talked about Krishna. Um, but, uh, oh, give thanks, Wanisha. Appreciate it. Give thanks. Oh, and P. Sherelle caught us live. Yeah, you've been, you've been, you've been catching us pretty consistently. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, though, Wanisha. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, but, you know, so there's a deep sleep, which is more of a creative sleep, Right. Which is important too. Like th there's so many different forms of rest because a lot of times, especially for those of us, and you know, obviously I'm not speaking for everybody, but for those of us who um who have a bit more dominance in terms of, of melanin, we have a, more of a proliferation of it. Um, we're actually more night people, and as opposed to so we're really moon people, peace, Deidre, as opposed to sun people. And I know we pride ourselves on the sun. Yeah, we can stay out in the sun, this and that and that and that. Yeah, that's the active aspect, act, active aspect. But we're really more, we, after we recharge during the day, like gargoyles, we actually become active at night. You see, that's why the melanin and the melatonin, it's, you know, it's used for sleep and things like that. But, um, you're more active at that moon, you know, that moon energy, because now you're like a moving, walking sun, because like through photosynthesis, you've charged yourself with it throughout the day, you know, so that rest period is more critical than you might imagine. So that's why I would like when you read in Vedic traditions, peace, Paula Sanchez, you know, when you read, and it's early over where you at too, up early, um, you read the Vedic traditions and you'll see you know, those deep sleeps, but what the deep sleep is, is a creative period. You see, so, um, you know, like if you look at, I was talking to someone about this just yesterday. Um, good dawning, Sister Manera. We were talking about, um, well, he was talking about something and then I was kind of respectfully trying to not uh, disagree with him. It was, it was an older man and he was talking about how he's from Chicago but um, he's lived in New York for a long time. Good dawning, Precious. He's lived in New York for a very long time. And, um, you know, but he still 
considers himself to be like a loyal, I guess, Chicagoan, you know. Um, and that's cool. I mean, whatever, whatever you are, you are whatever floats your boat, <laughs> you know. But one of the things that I was, you know, like alluding to was that, well, you know, you may have been created in Chicago, but it's New York that made you. You know, you, you behave, you conduct yourself, and you move as, as a New Yorker. You know, um, and he, he kind of like he kind of skipped over. I was like, all right, that's that's that, that's that's it. You know, um, you know, you talking to elders, you just gotta, you, you know, you know, maybe you can throw a little something in there, but you gotta kind of test the waters. Peace and drink. You know, you, you know, I'm just sitting there going back and forth with oh, they got wisdom, so you just leave that leave that as it is. Um, cause he might be right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I might be wrong. Peace, peace, Baba Huru. Uh, talking to an elder, it's a good, it's a good chance I'm wrong. <laughs> so, you know, you, you try to put a little in there and see if maybe you can discuss it and I'm not, all right, we'll go your way, elder. No problem. You know, but, um, you know, one of the things with that is that, we were talking about, well, he was talking about some of the things that happened. We were talking about music and this was something that I kind of had to like put a, put a break on for a minute. Cause he was talking about, if any of you are, you know, um, listeners of jazz at all, you might be familiar with like New Orleans jazz or, or what they used to call, um, uh, Dixie band jazz or, or original Dixie band jazz, what they call it. Peace, Baba Logan. And um, he had brought up original Dixie brand, original Dixie band jazz, right? And he was talking about now just to give you some background, this individual is Italian, right? And um, he was talking. He's from Sicily, so he's you know different kind of Italian. So actually, the conversation started off. We were talking about peace camp, Poetan. We were actually talking about racism. That's actually how it started off. And he was sharing some of his experience that he had that he had like back in the sixties and in the early fifties with people, you know, um, prejudging him because he was Sicilian and he was like, yeah, you know, um, we were just the way we were dealt with. And to give you some background, like, you know, or, or just to give you a little bit of context, um, he looks like a, a lighter toned, um, East Indian just to give you a little bit of context. So you clearly can see like, okay, yeah, there's something a little different going on there. You know, Hannibal is one of, this is one of Hannibal's babies. <laughs> you know, greetings, Iris McCabe. So, you know, so he was sharing like, you know, yeah, back in the days it was, it was a little rough, you know, some of the things, you know, people would find out you're Italian and they'd ask you what kind of Italian. And so then he was talking about original Dixie band jazz. And I was like, all right, now, now we got to slow up. <laughs> like I'm, I'm with you for a second but um one of the things here I mean, he's like yeah you know these guys invented jazz and they were they were they were white guys and, and i was like mm, no that's that's not actually accurate you know um i said yeah we had the first um jazz recording in 1917 you know um uh, which was the original dixie band jazz band which they later changed their name in fact they even they spelled jazz differently back there it was J A S and then they later put the Z's on it. But I said they were the first to record it, but they were not the inventors. In fact, um, when it was first heard in Congo Square, um, uh, those individuals were which they were, it was by Moore 
It was by Morse. They were approached to record, and that back then, like the recording technology was so new, they used what they called um, wax cylinder. And it was basically like if you ever see those old movies where they crank up a phonograph and like they just got music playing through it like that. Well, the machine looked exactly like that. They would stand in front of you with this box and it had a big horn, which was the wax cylinder, and then you would play and then that would record right into the grooves of a record, into the acetate, right? So that was the how they did the original corners. So now you have brothers who were playing what was considered jazz back then, um, which mainly had, which was a jazz front line, which was coronet, coronet, it's basically like a trumpet, coronet, uh, clarinet, trombone, and drums, but the drums was more like wood blocks. It wasn't really like what you might picture as a drum being today, but it was more just wood blocks and like a, 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 a kick, you know? So that's why when you hear them early jazz records, it's like, because it was just wood blocks, right? Peace, Brittany. Peace, Esme, right? Now, this is all about, I'm not even on a tangent. You might think I am. This is all talking about what we're talking about. For those of you who have no interest in music, just ride along with it and get, get an interest in music. Peace, Kenneth. <laughs> so, and this is important. I'm, I'm going to do a <clears throat> video on this one day because it's, it's important. It's important history, you know, because actually those early jazz groups, they were a part of voodoo ceremonies. That's really where jazz was first noted at, or the, the style that we know as jazz. That's actually where it came from, out of Congo Square in New Orleans. And, and of course, we know it dates back to the continent, but I'm saying it's emergence here in the United States. So they approached them, right? Um, you know, you had, a, you had a lot of guys in the, in the beginning, and they were like, it was almost like early hip-hop was like, make a record for what? Like, why would, why would you record? No, it's supposed to be live and enjoyed and played outside. That's how it was with jazz. We did the same thing when they came. It was like, I'm recording it, right? However, the original Dixie Band group, which was an all-white group, they were like, heck yeah, we'll record it. So they went down in, in history in 1917 as um, being the first the first jazz music only because they made the first recording and then later some of those other musicians like yeah, guys like jelly roll morton and you know later on you had like fats waller and stuff like that but they then came and like around 1926 started making their own work especially when the when the technology improved as well you know as far i'm saying the recording technology right um <clears throat> so he had brought up the and i was like mm, i might have to correct you on that one that one i ain't gonna you know, I, I'll ride with the stuff you talk about yourself, but now you're talking about my people and what was stolen <laughs> from us, you know, by guys like Paul Whiteman and, you know, um, um, Gershwin. These dudes did like Rhapsody in Blue. And um, oh, shoot, Paul, Paul Whiteman was the first pop star ever in America. Like how you guys might see a, you know, I don't know, whoever's the biggest pop star right now where there's so many artists out right now but he was the actual very first pop star but he was jazz and what he used to do was mix jazz with popular music and it, it was a style that was called symphonic you know um symphonic jazz right but it was straight stolen just like the stuff gershwin took it was like line for line note for note it was stolen from from more musicians 
you know, um, who were in Chicago and New Orleans and, and places like that, uh, who were playing on the street, basically. And then, you know, they started making sheet music and selling it and things like that, right? So it's a whole long history there. I won't get into everything. But, um, you know, they originally, cha- they, they eventually changed their name from the original Dixie Band, Dixie Band, um, um, because they considered, because of the racial implications when you say Dixie, you know, the, the whole Confederate idea that they, they removed that name. Now, if you look up one of the original members of Dixie Band Jazz, and I brought this article up to him, um, his last name is uh, DeRocca, or Le DeRocca. Um, he says some craziness. You know, he, they interviewed him about the, the origins of jazz. I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> why are you asking him? He, he wasn't really there, you know, but they interviewed him and, um, peace matcha. And he was like, um, you know, well, he was talking about the, he said, well, the black musicians didn't create anything. It was white men who completely created and formed this whole genre that you know as to be just an old, old racist man now. <laughs> He's an old man now, but he was like, we created the whole thing and when we stopped playing it, the blacks had nothing else to play. He said, so all they were doing was just following the notes that we had already laid down. This is what he said. Like, it was like, this dude must have got hit with a bag of nickels in the head. Like, he's completely delusional. You know what I mean? But that's what happens when you don't hold down the history. <laughs> you know, like, somebody will read that 50 years from now. That, hmm, makes sense. You know, and then they'll go look for the first recording and be like, well, it's a bunch of white guys. Although the, the, the music style dates back to the early 1800s. They were playing that in the 1800s in Congo Square. You know what I'm saying? But the technology wasn't there to record it. And then when the technology came to record it, of course, brothers, is like, that's like, that's like us, you know, we, we do a bimbe. And and we're playing and we're singing and we're, we're doing Arisha chants and, and we're drumming. And somebody comes along and is like, hey, can I film this? No, you can't film this. That's not what we do. No, this this is only for the moment. This is th- to be enjoyed by us in the moment right here and there. But somebody who's attending, maybe of another group, who knows, whatever, says, come on, hey, come here, come here, come here. I, I've been studying these guys. I know all these rhythms. I know all the chants. You can record me doing it. Now they become the inventor, or like Paul Whiteman. You, <laughs> Paul Whiteman becomes the king of jazz. God, excuse me, get the heck out of here, man! With that, um, shoot, it, it wasn't until Louis Armstrong came along so many years later in the twenties, man. Like Louis Armstrong was the king of soloing. Like nobody was playing long horn solos like that because back then jazz was based around marching bands. Right, that's or brass bands they called them back then. So even when you had horn lines and stuff, everybody played together. You know, they, it was da 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 or whatever, right? But Louis was like, everybody calmed down, and he started using what Jelly Roll Morton called was breaks. Breaks is when you like da 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 da, but in between those breaks, somebody might be soloing, right? So Jelly Roll Morton was like, without breaks, there ain't no jazz. Breaks, jazz, jazz is nothing but swings and breaks. Now swing is like, um, and I know I'm doing this whole music thing, man, but effort. Like, 
I give y'all what y'all want every day. <laughs> I'm like Fiddler and Roots. I'm gonna play what I want <laughs> right before he died, though. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, but this is important because we're talking about rest and sleep. And I, trust me, I'm getting there. Just give me some extra history. Um, so like swing is like let's say if you have um a 16th beat and and let's say the kick is on the one, boom, 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 boom. And your hi hats are hitting sixteenth. Now your sixteenths are that's sixteen time. Okay. So and then let's say again the one is okay. If you can if you can kind of get that right. So now <laughs> play on pounding my chest. So now a swing would be um well this is straight which is how music is today because it's all done in computers and the computer don't know how to swing. The swing might go. Or um, if it was jazz. Right? So it's got a, it's got a little rush. It's got a little slow. Instead of instead of like straight. So Jelly Roll Morton was like jazz is which is really feel like feel that joint. Instead of just boom cat boom cat boom cat, it might be like see what I'm saying? Those little ghost notes and stuff in between that gives you that little because it's really a heartbeat, right? Some folks can't feel their heart. <laughs> and you know the computer ain't got no heart, so the computer's just gonna give you um, cat, um, cat. But that's how music is today, and that's how we like it now. We like it stiff. You know what I mean? Um, so Jelly Roll Morton was like, No, you need breaks and you need swing, right? That's jazz. If you ain't got that, you ain't got no jazz. So then when like Louis Armstrong came along, like dudes like that, it was like we got breaks, we got swings, and and he'd be singing. Because you remember jazz before that was all, it was really like circus music. That's why when you listen to early jazz, it would it would almost sound comical. Because it was like, it wasn't taken serious in the beginning. You know, it was it was almost like comedy music. You know what I mean? That's why it was used in cartoons and things like that. And then when cats like Louie came along, he was like, F that. You know, like... <laughs> So Louie would be singing a real song. Instead of they would always do these like comedy acts right before the song. Hey Remus, I done found a whole dollar bill. You found a dollar. Well, what they do? Well, what we gonna do? We gonna go down to the store and swing. Louie was like, F that. And Louie would be up there like I'ma sing a real song. Darling, my baby. <laughs> he would like sing a song and then do this crazy long solo. And then the band would just be rocking. You know what I mean? Like he was like a rock star, really. But you got to like, you got to be able to put it into perspective. You know what I'm saying? These dudes wasn't doing that on the recordings. Like the original, they wasn't doing none of that. You know what I'm saying? Like they were not even singing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they, they didn't have... You had dudes like Louie that was jumping on the P, jump on the piano, jump on the trumpet, start singing, jump on a drum set, like, you know, real ninja shite. You know how we do. 
<laughs> Real ninja shit. You know, he's showing off. You know what I mean? So, what I was sharing with the guy, because he was like, wow, this is fascinating. I don't, yeah, goddamn right, it's fascinating. Go tell, you, go tell a friend to tell a friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come around here with lying. You know what I mean? So, um, peace, me, myself, and I. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, man. So, you know, people started to, and then if you notice, like a lot of those early, early jazz singers, there was a, the women like were super graceful and the women and the men all had this, this piece of all this like strength. It was a masculinity. We'll say that in the, in the music. Now that's when they came out with like one of the first movies ever to have like high fidelity, you know, sound in it was a movie called the jazz singer. And of course, you can imagine the jazz singer was not, <laughs> didn't look like an inventor of jazz. Because most of the time when they put jazz singers, I mean, jazz groups in movies, it was pretty degrading. You know what I mean? Um, they didn't, it wasn't really that classy. Unless you had someone like the Man, uh, Mantan Moorhand, Moreland uh, movies. These were, these were black films. They were considered low budget, but they would be like a black nightclub owner. You know what I'm saying? And the, the, the storyline may be, I don't know, some crooks come in, try to rob play something like that, but everybody would be in tuxedos and, and dancing. It's like, they were like, nah, like we ain't going to be sitting there playing, you know, the trumpet with a, with a plunger on it. You know what I'm saying? Like to play that wah wah sound piece, Cassie, just to be funny for y'all and tripping and falling all over the instrument. You know what I mean? But you listen to a lot of that early stuff, like I said, there was a there was a level of of peace, Tommy Alexander. There was a level and Cindy Jones. I see you. There was a level of I feel like y'all came in together last time. Hmm. Yesterday I think y'all came in the chat same time together too. Hmm, y'all ain't fooling nobody. Y'all together. <laughs> no. But you know, there was like a there was a level of you know, just masculinity and femininity that also came to the music. So like you had a lot of <clears throat> bass and baritone singers and, you know, um, there I go, there I go, there I go. A lot of times those original songs, that was the range they were really singing in, you know. Um, and then some people don't have what we have, what we call resonance and richness in those lower registers like that where they could sing, you know, because a lot of it came from field songs, those early stuff. So it's like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen nobody knows my sorrow now who's really going to be singing like that and who would sing a song like that those are old what they call they call them hollering songs or feel songs and these and there was a combination of hollering songs and feel songs along with blues that then gave birth to jazz and of course I can't even say gave birth to jazz because the hollering songs you know, swing low, sweet chariot, right? Those type of songs, along with blues, then th that was really, or, along with gospel, became blues. And then they mixed the, the blues, the gospel, and what they called the feel songs, which later later was defined as folk music. <laughs> but they were feel songs. That was the, the early name of them. And that became jazz. You see, but it was spiritual music. It was, and then these were the songs that, or the, the the style of music that was used in like ceremony. You know what I mean? Yeah, call and response was a part of that as well. 
So that, you know, you had a lot of that later with like Cab Calloway. But even early in the beginning, you know, hotty, 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 ho, hotty, 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 ho, hotty, 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 you know, stuff like that. And then that later became hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Throw your hands in the air. Everybody say ho, 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 you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So that's all jazz, right? Now, here's what I'll, here's the ultimate point I'm saying, because I'm, I'm all over the place, right? Um, and just remember though, like again, a lot of them early joints, the men were singing bass baritone and, um, you know, the, the women was, were, were singing the alto soprano, you know, it wasn't later. And I'll get into another time because that's, that's a part of a whole nother agenda. You know what I mean? So anyway, <clears throat> like I said, so I'm talking to the, to this older guy, um, <clears throat> about this. Because I'm just like, I listen to some of what you're saying, but don't don't be you, you talking about my ancestors now. Like, don't do that, bro. Like, chill. <laughs> you know, like, come on, bro. You can't do that, man. Nah, like, you know, just because we talking about this thing over here, don't think I don't also know about this thing over here. I'm just being quiet, you know. But when he was like, yeah, you know, the original jazz music, I'm like, hey, my man, <laughs> check this here out. Don't don't say that no more. Don't 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 say that. That's that's not the truth. Let me give it to you how it really is, you know. Um, and then you know, and then like we're still talking early jazz because then it go we go all the way up to you got New York, you got stride piano, ragtime. Come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Ragtime. Peace, peace, Alex, and and Levette. Greetings. You know, peace, Ali, Isha. You know what I'm saying? Ragtime was a whole nother like level of complication <laughs> you know what I'm saying where they're playing tuba parts with one hand and then melodies with and, and chords with, oh my it was like these dudes had like four or five arms you know what I mean um but you have stride piano and then later much much later you had guys like you know Gillespie and and, and Miles come on the scene man and they just they just like tore everything up <laughs> because remember again you got to remember jazz found its place if, if you ever watched the movie uh get on up with, with chad with boseman about james brown there's a scene in there where the little boys are fighting each other and you have a band playing in the background that's mainly the, the jobs that black musicians were able to get back then because jazz was considered like comedic music and then it was considered dance music strictly it was it was for society people to dance along with. So a lot of jazz was very upbeat. And then you had guys come in later. So even if you listen to big band music, it's that that to do, that to do, that to do, that, that, that to do. And then we could do our foxtrot and all of that, right? But then you had dudes come in later. Coltrane would do like a sax solo for like forty five seconds in the beginning of the song. And everybody would be doing what they call free jazz. Which is every instrument just doing its own thing. You can't dance to that. You just got to sit down and listen. <laughs> and then the beat would come in, but then the beat would be like five eight timing or some weird timing. It's like, how do you what? How do you? I don't even know where to put my foot down. <laughs> Peace, Marjavari, Marjavari. Greetings. Good morning to you. You know, so they were like, man, f us playing for these people to dance. We gonna play what we feel. Right, and you had Miles when Miles Davis came. Miles wouldn't even face the audience. 
He'd do a whole concert with his back turned to the audience. He was known for that. He'd do a whole show with his back turned to the audience looking at the band. You didn't even get to see his face the whole show. He's like, man, you here for the music, right? Oh, you got to say it like, my, they're here, they're here for the music, right? All right, then, F them. <laughs> so the point I was making, you know, um, before we got off on that, that you know, music one-on-one tangent, um, but like I said, at some point I'm going to do a video on that because I I just would like to just, because I feel like certain things should be put down, you know, like certain things should be shared and said because, you know, there's a lot of history that's stolen from certain people and sometimes we don't realize the value of it, right? And this is what I'm getting to. If you don't really know the value of something, like I said, you will inherently misuse it. You know, it's like, um, I remember one time, you know, my grandfather used to collect, <laughs> he used to collect all his coin. Like when he, when he would come in from work or whatever, he had this jar that he used to put his coins in. Peace, Brittany. He had this jar. And then it was like for us, you know what I'm saying? What really was for me because I was the only one who would sit there and, well, back then, now they got machines you could just dump the coins in. But back in the days, you just have to take the coins out, separate them, and then wrap them in like these little paper wrappers, and then you take them to the bank, and then they would give you cash for the thing. But it was like a tedious process, counting all these dirty coins and stuff and rolling them up. And I think one roll of pennies, y'all, some of y'all remember, y'all acting like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but some of y'all remember. What was the pennies? 50 cents? 50 pennies went into one roll? I think, or was it, I know y'all remember, peace Shannon, but anyway, so, like, we would do this maybe, like, once every two years or whatever, like, basically, when the job would get full, he'd be like, all right, boy, come on and count these coins, man, Take count these coins, take them to the bank, right, and I remember, at, and this was a big deal to me, man, because I'm like, yo, I know this, I'll be looking at the job, 50 pennies, exactly, old head in the house, <laughs> you know, I know it, Try to act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, so yeah, the dark red rappers, exactly. You know what I mean? Um, and they would give you the rappers for free at the bank. You just go get a bunch of rappers and you just got to sit and, and wind them up. Now, I was the only one. I always liked money as a child, so as an adult, too. But, I, you know, like my siblings and cousins, nobody else really cared. You know what I'm saying? But I'd be like, Grandpa, I, 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 I count I, I, I the money. You know what I mean? And, um, so, um, as a result, I started kind of learning a little bit about coins, you know, and I don't know if it was from reading the encyclopedia or something like that, but I remember just kind of developing an interest in coins because, you know, as you wrapping them, you're looking at them and I would notice that some look different than others, you know, like, um, of course you have different years on them and stuff like that, but I would just notice some look different. So I remember one time we was rapping, or I was rapping, he was sitting there smoking a cigarette, talking about something, I don't know, blowing smoke in my face, most likely, no doubt, you know. But um, I went and I pulled up a nickel. He was like, oh, wait, that's a that's a buffalo nickel, boy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about, man? Put this in the joint, man. I'm trying to get this bread, you know what I'm saying? Um, trying to get these rock'em, sock'em robots, man. You know what I mean? You slowing up the train, you know? So the thing about it, he was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's worth money. If you see those, put those to the side, right? So 
when he put them in, when he had them in his pocket and he came in from work or, or wherever, he just dropped them into the, into the, the, the John, you know what I mean? So based upon that, he saw it as just any other nickel or any other dime or whoever gave it to him saw it as any other nickel, any other dime, any other penny, right? But so he didn't understand the value of it. He didn't know the value at it at that moment. I didn't know the value until he said, no, 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 that's worth something, right? And then I started going on a pursuit because I'm like, wait a minute, what else is worth something that, you know what I mean? I'm starting to look around the, the, the house like, what else in this that I could sell? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you start putting start putting your name on this stuff, taking pieces of tape, putting your name like when they die, this is mine because it's antique. You know, this is a, you turn this stuff over. Yeah, they, that's mine. I put my name on it back in 1979. You know what I mean? <laughs> we was counting pennies. So the thing about it, right? So um, when you, you started seeing like, wow, there's a, there's a bigger value to this, you start to treat it differently, right? So when I would come across, and he had a bunch of buffalo nickels. When I would come across these buffalo nickels, like, okay, clean these up, put them to the side. Now I'm treating it tenderly. You see, now I'm, I'm I'm treating it with a whole nother different level of respect because I see the value of it, you see. And that's the thing, like I'm saying, even with like our music, like we've given whole genres of mu- music away because we didn't see the value of it, you know, from rock, blues, jazz, you, you, you know what I'm saying, hip hop, <laughs> Uh, we can't even say R&B. Really, R&B doesn't even exist anymore. You know what I'm saying? Only if you go to the Essence Jazz Fest, you get to you get to hear all the old R&B artists. But that genre is pretty much done. You know what I mean? Because we didn't see not only the curative and the meditate the the, the, med- the the medicinal values of our music, but honestly, even the economic value, the financial value of what our art actually is. So we just here, yeah, you can have it, or you know, we just kind of. We walk out on it with this. There's a high level of um, disloyalty, and to someone else says, "Oh no, wait a minute. That's what are you guys playing? Can I record that? Can I da 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 da?" And next thing you know, they build a whole industry from from this thing, you know, because all all music comes from jazz. All of it it comes from jazz. You know what I mean? So from that first recording, that first wax cylinder recording recording in 1917, you got everything that you got today. Everything. You, you know what I mean? So, um, and again, like I would reiterate that the people who recorded that were not the the originators of that sound. And the people who were playing that sound in New Orleans were not, not necessarily the originators because, you know, they were early jazz had a strong, um, you know, Peace Chris. It had a strong um, what they call the Spanish influence in the music at that time. So the early jazz was a combination of West African rhythms, Spanish sounds and, and some other things, but, and feel hollering and things like that. But if you got to know the code words, like if it's a combination of Spanish music and you're talking about it's more, it, these, these, this is more, these are the sounds of the Moors. That's, that's what you're actually saying without, without really wanting to say it. That's why you'll say, Oh, it's feel hollering. Like we was just in the field, just you know. <laughs> no, your music sounds like that. <laughs> That's not what our our music is melodious. Your shit sounds crazy. You, you know what I mean? So um, you over there singing songs about killing your parents and you know, 
um, stuff like that. So no, I, I joints sound, boy, they used to sound melodious. Now it's a different thing, you know. But so my point is that I'm saying it's the value that we put on things. So now what am I speaking about the value of, you know, um, wisdom, right? Wisdom. This is why I started off by saying that women primarily are, are here to do because that is the that is the fulfillment of wisdom when you're actually doing something, not just sitting and talking about something or I want to go to this class, I want to go to that class, and I want to go to that class. All right, all right, enough with the classes. Do something, you know. Um, but because we don't value wisdom, you know, a lot of times we, we, we treat it in the worst of ways, right? So like I said, I was speaking to this, this elder. Now, he's not my elder, but um, like I said, he's Italian, and he's Sicilian, and he's an elder in someone else's community, and I, I'm giving him that respect. But the reason why I wasn't going at him, like, Man, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know I mean, like, um, because I respect his wisdom. You know, the man, um, he's almost 90 years old. You know, you know what I mean? So there's a lot I can learn. It doesn't matter if he's, and I'm sorry for all those, um, reminders and stuff. Um, it doesn't matter if he's not a part of my community. I respect the years. You, you see what I'm saying? Um, and like I said, he's somebody's elder, you know, it's like we say, well, that's somebody's mama. That's somebody's, oh, yeah, he's somebody's grandfather, great grandfather. But, and nonetheless, and he took out time. He, he gave me an opportunity to share some wisdom with me. Well, he thought, yeah, I mean, I learned something. Let me just say it like that. I learned something, you know, and I always liked speaking to people who were discriminated against. I always enjoy speaking to, to people like that because, and I'm enjoying the information. I'm enjoying the knowledge. I speak to old Irish people when I can, you know, because um, their ride in this space was, was, you know, was a little crazy <laughs> for a while. You know, um, a lot of times people don't realize that they came over shackled up too at a certain time. You know what I mean? Um, I remember when I was younger, people used to call them potato eating ninjas. Now, you just think about the word I'm using. I'm replacing with ninja. But they used to call them potato eating ninjas. Right now, of course, this because some people know the history. Some people know, you know, why they like to fight so much and they and their women's butts are so big, you know. Um, how the leprechaun was considered originally the, the stories they were they were ancestors and they were black. They were the, that was a, that's an old Moorish tale, the leprechaun. And then some people know about those stories, like oh, it was actually the Moors running up through Ireland and gave it its name Irish from from Osiris. Okay, got it. You know what I mean? So there's people here who know some of that, and so when they say oh, they're just potato eating ninjas. They know what they're saying. <laughs> they know that um, ethnicity is not just tied up in phenotype. It's not just because you look a certain way. They, they, some people know there's, there's, there's a deeper thing to that that story. You know what I mean? So I like to talk to anyone who you know tells me that they have stories of oppression because sometimes it's BS, <laughs> you know, and I and sometimes it's not, you know. So him telling me like, yeah, there was a lot of things I couldn't do when I was a kid and. They wouldn't let us rent in certain places and they would ask you, you know, like, where are you from? And, you know, my parents didn't really speak English and we were 
you know, right off the boat and things like that. And they, oh, you're Sicilian, no, oh, and you know, okay, cool. I'm, you know, I, I like to learn some things, but don't stay over there. <laughs> Go over there. Like them coolies talking about <laughs> stuff. Come on now. You know, I know I'm a lot younger than you, but we trying to scoop no BS into my head, into my ears. I don't like listening to certain things for so long. I listen a little bit. When you start talking about the original jazz, you know, no, they wasn't. They a bunch of racist uh, Southerners. That's what they were, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's that wisdom value. And, you know, a lot of times we don't respect wisdom in, in the same similar way as to, like why we wouldn't have a conversation with a person like that, because we don't understand the value of delayed gratification. Like you know, you're speaking to someone who's 90 years old. There's going to be a lot of. Um, it takes a while for them to get their thoughts out, and sometimes it's a lot of rambling, and you know, and things like that. And you know, um, sometimes we get caught up. So I'm just turning off my notifications. Um. And replying at the same time. Okay. But anyway, um, so a lot of times we we have this thing where we're just caught in these really immature cycles of, like I said, I want what I want, I want what I want, and we're caught in these desires and these emotions, and as a result. We, we don't really understand the idea of patience, the, the, the idea of, like I said, delayed gratification. That's why I often say, tell people like, you know, Monopoly is an awesome game for children to play. Peace, Shadow Book. You know, it, it really helped because Monopoly it takes forever, <laughs> you know, but it really teaches that science of delayed gratification. And that's something that we have to learn at a very young age. Okay, we got to learn that science at a very young age and the value of being able to respect wisdom enough where we wait to wisdom does. Wisdom does as knowledge knows. Knowledge knowledge thinks, knowledge meditates. Wisdom does, you know. Um, and understanding, you, you speak with understanding. Understanding speaks broad, and, and broadcasts, you know, afterwards. But sometimes we're just kind of in a space where it's like, um, you know, like I said, I want it now. And as a result, we end up making a lot of calamity in our lives. And then we blame everyone and everything around us as, as a result, we're, we're moving in a way where we're just a slave to de demonic emotions that exist inside of us, you know? So when you truly value wisdom, you value what comes as a result of doing, or what comes as a result of delayed gratification. I have to put my work in now because this is what it's going to be later. And it's okay. I don't have to have it right now. You know, there's a song. You, some of you might know the song, but um, uh, the, the song, Peace, James Garabaki. You know, the song is, um, I didn't go to court because I was high. Right? I, I think that's, the, that's mainly the title. Afro Man. You know what I mean? Now, <laughs> you probably say, well, how the heck he know that song? <laughs> I know music. <laughs> um, an Afro man plays the guitar. He's not just a, you know, I don't know what to call He's just his going to my artist. You know, he's an artist. But um, you know what that is? That's the same thing. You know why we don't, we don't wait for wisdom? 
because we want to feel high all the time. Whenever you are constantly trying to immediately, I want what I want now. I want what I want. I want this now. I want that now. I want that now. And you're unwilling to, to invest and study and learn the wisdom of the creator. It's because you just want to feel high all the time. You're always high. Ooh, that feels good. I got what I wanted. Ooh, that feels good. I got what I wanted. I got what I wanted. I got what I wanted. You know, whether it's food, you're always eating all the time or, or whether you're, you're sexing all the time or whether you're opiating all the time, you know, you just want to feel high all the time. And when you're in a position of having to wait for something, you don't get that experience. You see, you don't necessarily get to get to say, okay, well, I'm not getting what I want today. I want to drive this car right now. You know, I want this car, but you know what? I'm willing to wait. And right now I'll drive that car or I'll drive no car. I'll ride a bike for right now because I know I'm working towards something. There are some people who put themselves in some of the worst positions in terms of their careers because they have no sense of delayed gratification. You know, um, you think about nowadays, even the idea of a degree, it, it doesn't mean what it meant 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, it, having a, a four-year degree is, is not too far off from having a high school diploma, you know, in, in many senses. And, um, Sometimes people don't understand like, yeah, you, you, you may get, you, you may get that, but it may make more sense to, instead of going to school for four years, go to school for eight years, go to school for seven years, go to school for six years or longer. Right. Oh man, I don't want to be in school all my life. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go to school for 10 years. I just finished high school. I want to, I want to get it, get over and done with and get a job and get a job, <laughs> you know? And sometimes we don't understand that, you know, if you're willing to delay the gratification, it'll be so much more rewarding, you know, um, it, and, and this is not to, this is not to disrespect anyone. I want you to understand that, but we need more midwives. We need more midwives in our community, right? I can't tell you how many people I've met who um, are interested in birthing and things like that. And I say, well, why don't you, you know, um, become an RN and eventually become a midwife. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to school. So one of the things they say, well, I'll take a doula certification course. I know somebody's doing doula certification. I can knock that right out. Okay, that's cool. We need doulas too. But doulas work with the midwives. We need midwives too. And if your reason is just because you, you know, you don't want to go back to school, you might want to rethink that, you know, or, you know, you went to school for nursing. I really wanted to be a doctor. Why didn't you? I didn't want to all the school. I didn't want to go. Well, we need doctors. We need nurses. Sure. But we need doctors, too. And, and this is not to say that one should not have a trade. There's certain trade schools you can go to for nine months and and do very well. You know, um, we need plumbers. <laughs> You know, for real, and plumbers make make great money. You know, they make great money, but we need plumbers too. You know, and we need carpenters, and 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 you know, we need welders, and 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 all those type of people too. But a lot of times, because of our inability to um, delay our gratification, we end up really causing more headache in our lives later. You know, because we don't value wisdom, we don't value the journey. You know, so it's the same way, like once I learned about not only buffalo nickels, but, you know, certain 
I mean, shoot, if I would have known really today what I knew back then when I was rolling pennies, I would have kept every single penny because those pennies were copper. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, these were pre-1984 pennies, you know, when they started doing them primarily with zinc and less copper. But these were like all copper pennies, like they're worth a lot more than a penny, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, so it's it's the same thing a lot of times, unfortunately, that we go through in our life because we don't respect the process, because we don't respect wisdom. And wisdom is the, is the key thing. When you respect wisdom, you will have sweet rest. You know, when we talked about that sweetness, that's where sweet rest comes from. You know, it, it comes from the respect for wisdom. But a lot of times people are racing, you know, and trust me, I get this all the time. And I knew people come in, yo, let's do this, let's do this, do that. No, you sit, sit down. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time and I know how to do it properly. I know how to do it wrong and I know how to do it right. But you may not respect that. So you get people who you talk to them and they say, yeah, I've started organizations. I've started over 15, 20 organizations. 15, 20 organizations. Why you keep starting organizations? You know, oh, well, you know, you know, they have no wisdom. You see, now they may have wisdom of, of how to make something fail, but they're not connected to the fact that they're a failure. They're just connected to the fact that they're just running, 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 running. And like I told you, emotions means to rise up and take off, right? So they're rising up in emotion and there's, there's no repose of, of wisdom. What's the best way to do this? You know, has someone else done it before? That's another important thing. Going back to the school piece, sometimes some of you guys, you pick degrees and you don't speak to other people who have those degrees, <laughs> You know, and ask them, like, what was the journey like? Like, you know, what were the job prospects like? Is is there a minor that you would suggest that I take along with this major that would help me to do whatever it is I'm trying to do? Sometimes this is what you do. You go and you speak to your faculty advisor or your, or your student advisor, and you forget, well, they just teach in the school. <laughs> That's cool. If I'm looking for an academic career, but if I'm getting a particular degree because I want to go out and do something, this is somebody who didn't go out and do it. So how much guidance could they, could they really give me? You know, when they, I know some people who got their degrees and literally, literally have never left the school that they went to. I, I have a friend like that now. He has never worked. He's never worked a job. Like even when he was a teenager, nothing. He went to school, then he worked for the school that he went to, and he's a tenured professor there. He's never been anywhere else but the college he actually attended. And I talked to him about that one day. I was like, yo, your advice is worth crap. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, yo, you ain't never did anything. You never did anything. You never been anywhere. Like, you've been in this school your entire life. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, what could you tell me about going out and taking over the world? You you couldn't tell me nothing. Now, I know him personally, so I could talk to him like he knows how I am. I wouldn't talk to him like that in front of his students. But he was like, yo, you know what? You're right. He's like, I never looked at it like that. I was like, yeah, man, you better bring in some other experts, man, because you can't give anybody any real career advice other than how to go work for a school. Right. So sometimes through wisdom, we don't even do that. We don't even speak to people who've been, you know, like I'm speaking to a, a, a 89 year old Italian man and. I'm asking certain questions. He's telling me about his wife and about his children and his family and, you know, what it was like to 
kind of start from what for, I, well he said nothing you know I kind of perceive he had more than nothing but I will just say nothing you know to start from nothing and but to face discrimination and things like yeah man let, let me let me hear it let me hear it let's, let's come on you know what I mean um and there's little jewels that you you can get in, in different things now we may be of a different culture you know um but you know, I, I, I see what, what I can apply, but I remember all of it. I take all of it in, you know, because maybe I'm not able to apply certain things now just because I don't understand it. It doesn't mean because it's wrong. Well, that's what y'all do. You know, maybe I just don't understand it right now. And, you know, I I affirm for understanding. I affirm for wisdom. You know, this is what I ask for. Please give me wisdom so I can understand things. But a lot of times, again, because we're wrapped up in emotion, and we don't understand delayed gratification. We're wrapped up in that way because we want things more than we want wisdom. And you got to think about it. Wisdom comes from the divine. The wisdom comes from the creator because knowledge comes from the creator. True, pure, clean knowledge comes from Ra, comes from the light of the creator. So good wisdom is actually heavenly. <laughs> if you, you know, if you, if you kind of think about it mathematically, it's heavenly. So sometimes we lust for earthly things over heaven. That's essentially what we're doing. You know, when we say, well, man, I don't want to go to school that long. Or, you know, um, I know I, sh I, you know, old head or the elder said, try it this way or do it this way, man. But I, I, I need it now. I'm trying to get it right now. I'm trying to do what I'm, what my thing right now, you know. Um, and that's essentially you want the earth over heaven. You, you, you know, you, you're on some levels, you're choosing hell over heaven eventually, you know, but you physical things and material things mean more to you than 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 unseen or ethereal wisdom. You see, so that's why we crash and burn. You know, we want the things of the world immediately. And sometimes those things of the world are our emotions. I want access to my emotions right now. Immediately. Give it to me right now, right now, right now, right now. Wisdom you talking about. I. Nah, man, that, that takes me waiting and thinking and, and doing the right thing and and seeking for righteousness and seeking for rightness, making sure that I'm I'm being right in all moments. I'm not trying to do that. No, give it to me now. You know, so as a result, um, sometimes people don't complete training. They don't complete school. They walk away from great conversations with elders. They don't visit their grandparents enough. You know, because um, part of sitting there rolling on them dirty ass pennies. Yeah, I wanted the bread. Don't get me wrong. I've always been about business. That's since I was young, 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 young. I'm all, always and my children are the same way. Peace, YG gutter. I used to just walk around neighborhoods and try to come up with ideas. And, you know, I remember I remember when I, I saw it, I thought I was going to start a tire business when I was a kid. Cause it was an area in the woods that I knew where everybody used to dump tires. I didn't, I couldn't even drive. I'm like nine years old. I'm like, those are tires. I remember my mother had to buy a tire. We could sell tires, you know? And I started taking them and stacking them. And then, you know, an elder was like, boy, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, them damn things ain't worth nothing, man. <laughs> you know, which they actually was, but you know, I didn't understand it, but I was always looking around for, different ways to turn a dime and I did you know I I I did some things that are not necessarily legal at, at a young well, I, well <laughs> they're legal now 
<laughs> you know, they've been state sanctioned and legalized now, you know. But um, when I was younger, very, very young, I did some things because I'm, I'm just a businessman. I ain't thinking about all the other stuff. But I also did other things. You know, I sold bicycles. I used to go to the, um, we had a neighborhood near ours. It was like a more well-to-do neighborhood. And I used to go over there, me and my, me and my friend. And um, I would, like the rich kids, they used to throw out bike frames and bike parts all the time. Like, or sometimes in school, I'd see them and they'd be, and I, and they'd be like, yeah, I'm getting getting rid of my this bike or whatever and i'd be like hey, oh don't throw it out i'm gonna come to your house and get it and i would i had a whole workshop you know in our garage and like i would reassemble bikes and sell them you know what i mean so i used to sell bikes i used to sell skateboards i would i used to fix skateboards and stuff like that you know what i mean I, I i always had a business i had a landscaping business when i was what 10 11 um i had a friend of mine bobby he was 17 i had all older friends but he had his license and his pops had a had a truck. He used to let him drive sometimes. So we used to drive around at different spots and do people's yards. I'm 11 years old. I had two different people working for me, right? So um, I always liked to, you know, it was a it was a real cool sport for me. It still is a cool sport, you know, starting business entrepreneurship. But part of it, like I said, with the pennies things, it wasn't just that. It was sitting with my grandfather. You know what I'm saying? And just getting new curses <laughs> you know what I mean? he's a curse like i don't know what but um you know listening to his 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 stories and um you know he was a person who came up in the streets so sometimes when you come up like that and you get to a certain age people don't really value value you in the same way you know maybe not like how your family does so you know everybody's calling pop your pops 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 but they didn't really he had he had a lot of wisdom to share that people didn't didn't catch because of his delivery. You, you know what I mean? Like he didn't he 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 wasn't like me. And he used to always say that, man. If I talk like you back in the days, man, I would have made plenty of money. You know. But um, I remember one time I took him to the to the hospital to get we handling the situation he had, and a female doctor walks in. Right, she was doing his exam, and oh, the whole hospital knew him because he used to mess with people all the time. And, you know, he, he was always in everybody's business. And he was like, yo, we, so, you know, what you doing tonight? And then he was like, yeah, that's, that's my grandson there. He used to always call me Big Greasy Gorilla. That was my nickname, you know. Yeah, that Big Greasy Gorilla. That's my grandson over there, that Big Greasy Gorilla. You know, um, so he was like, yeah, what you doing tonight? It's, it was Friday. He, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm going out. And he, he was like, oh, you going out? Huh. Look here. Don't be giving that pussy away for free. You a doctor now. He said it just like that to a freaking doctor. And she's just laughing. Oh, <laughs> you, know, you know, and he's like, no, listen to what I'm saying. I'm serious. You a doctor. Don't get that pussy away for free. You know, and he started breaking some things down to her. Right. But that's how he delivers. So now me, I'm, I'm just used to this. I've been, I've been hearing this. Like, that's how he talked to everybody. You know what I mean? Like I'm hearing this since I'm like, six seven years old you know what i'm saying so what to me it was like yeah don't, don't, don't get that pussy right great he, he right you doctor <laughs> you know um and he was like yeah make sure he put a thing on that soldier so you don't come back here and catch a bug just because you you work in the hospital don't mean you can't catch the bug <laughs> right you know so there's wisdom in that now i know y'all hearing it and like oh my clutch like clutch the pearls <gasps> gasp 
you know. But, you know, these are the people who made me, you see. Now, I was created by my parents, and they made a large part of me, but this is, this is, this is what made me, you know. And some of my youth and family can say, wait a minute, I've heard you say that to people before. This is what made me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Um, so sometimes because we don't have that sense of delayed gratification, we can't sit there for two hours and roll pennies with grandpa, you know, and, and get smoke blown on our face. And, and he telling us, you know, wild stories. And, you know, we extrapolate the wisdom, you know, out of those stories and, you know, um, you know, and, and things like that. You know, I, I remember there being another incident at a hospital once and I had to go in and speak to a, a, a doctor because um, there was a, how can I put this? There was a cult member who was a nurse who was overseeing one of my family members, right? And she was talking to my family member but telling my family member like, I'll see you on the other side. Saying some wild stuff to my family member, right? So I, I show up and I was like, well, what did she just say? So I went to the doctor. I was like, listen, we want a different nurse. And it, you know, because I don't even do hospitals anyway, but so they don't, it's not good for me to be in here because I'm not happy anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, nah, because we'll, we'll put somebody else. Well, that's the only nurse we have on the, So I was like, all right, well, then I'll be the nurse. Tell me what I got to do. That person can't come back in the room, right? So it got to the point that I literally opened up a broom closet and ushered the doctor in. The, I was like, come here, let me talk to you. Come in here, right? Straighten the situation out, right? And I remember my grandfather was there. He was like, boy, you, well, he used to always say so. I, I'm trying to keep it, you know, stay. He was like, you a bad mother something, right? Y'all probably know the end of that. He was like, boy, you a bad mother something. He was like, you know, because if that was me, I'd be calling all sorts of B-I-T-C-H's and mother effers and everything like that, man. But you, man, you know, you know how to work on them people, man. You know, and what he said was, you know how to talk to those other people. Let's just say non-black people. He's like, boy, you know how to talk to them people, man. You know, the way the way you say things, man, you almost sound like one of them. <laughs> but he was like, but, you, you know, you coming rolling hard, man. You look strong, man. He said, man, it, it was over there shaking when you was talking to him, right? Well, there's a combination of wisdom, you know, that I'm learning from different people, from different elders, and I respect that wisdom. So I know how to speak to certain people in certain environments and, and get certain things done that need to be to, to, to be gotten done. You know, um, I have friends who work in the medical industry, and I, I know the language to, to utilize and things like that. And, um, you know, and at the time, my, my relative was like half unconscious when all this happened. So I'm like, you over there whispering in the air. Well, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, honestly, you're just lucky you, you lucky you didn't get hands put on you. <laughs> to be honest, like, be honest, you know. And fortunately, that relative member did not transition in that moment and they, you know, they made it through. But, um, so that's what I'm saying, man. We got to respect wisdom, man. And and that that valuing for wisdom is a valuing for heaven. And a lot of times that requires us to delay our gratification and not look for this constant opiate state 
Peace, Josephine Morsby. We were constantly just high. I got this. I got that. I got that. I got that. Especially in a time like now when everything is so topsy-turvy and people are, are, are living high on a hog. Like I said, people don't got their P-way money and they ain't never had that much money in their bank account. They living high on the hog. You know what I mean? And, you know, I know some people who've never had more than $1,500 ever. I know some people who've never had more than 5000 never had more than 10000 20000 and they getting a, boom, $15,000. Oh, my goodness. And people are like, well, man, I got, you know, I got to get a TV, and I, I got to buy some seafood. I got to treat myself, you know. And I, and I, I always, you know, I need some rims. You know what I'm saying? I got to get some rims. Come on now, you know. And, and people are doing all these things to keep themselves high, and they didn't go to court because they were high, you know. Um, I didn't listen to the elder because I was high. I didn't do my work because I was high. I didn't build my house on rock because I was high. You see? And that catches up to you. You know, just like in, in any sense when, you, when you're jumping into that state and you're chasing after emotions, remember, you got to pay that bill later. You know, oh, I dropped out of school because I'm trying to get bread right now. You're going to pay for that later. You know, when you're... I got a cousin like that, man. Excuse me. Um, he, he, um, he was in a cult. Let's make it, make it quick. And pretty much most of his life, he was in this cult, right? And when he came out the cult, he came out twice, actually. And he has a degree. He has, he has a, he has a college degree, but he never used it because he was in a cult, right? And when he came out, <laughs> this was the big joke. You know, um, he like had no, he, you know, how you get those letters that tell you how much like your social security would be like if you retire, whatever. Right. Or when you retire, like his was like nothing, you know what I mean? And it was like, and so he went, came out and got a job, like was like a pretty menial job, we'll say, especially with someone with a degree. And, um, he was like, yeah, there's, there's no money. Like he's just, he's, he doesn't understand. He's, he's whacked out. He's like, yeah, there's no money. Cousin, I, there's no money in my thing, and I don't know when I retire. I was like, yeah, man, you ain't never had no job. Now, everybody else is trying to, you know, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and I'm like, just, what you, what you, what you expect? You didn't have a job your whole life. You've been running around there in, in the woods with them people, you know what I mean? Using a call, <laughs> you know, and, because you wanted immediate gratification, you didn't think about what this looks like when I'm 60, 65, 70, 75, 80 years old. What is this going to look like later? You, you, you see? So a lot of times we get caught up in that. So even those of you who are high on a hog now because you got your PUA money or you did your PPP scam, think about what this thing looks like five, ten years from now. And what things you would have wished you built and put in place now to carry you through then you see so that's just a little guidance man just something to think about but we got to respect wisdom and we got to understand the value of delayed gratification and a lot of times that means that repose that we speak about let me think let me calculate and if you're not good at that and i understand some of us aren't talk to someone who is some people are good at long-range planning, and some people, you know, it's just, it's foggy. I don't know. It's foggy. I can't, I could think maybe in a couple of days, you know, or maybe no one ever taught you really how to sit down and write out a life plan. Okay, let me, what's my three-year plan, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 20-year plan? You know, what does this look like? 
And sometimes, you know, you might need a little bit of help with that. That's understandable. You know, don't don't feel don't let guilt or embarrassment or ego stop you from from investing in in that that type of experience. But um, like I said, man, sometimes you, you got buffalo nickels all around your life and you don't even know their value. So you don't know their purpose and, and you don't realize that they can carry you through, not only carry you through but create sweeter rest in your life. And a lot of times you're struggling and you can't sleep and you're over analytical and you're worrying all the time because you don't have wisdom of what's already valuable in your life. So you don't even know what you can, like I said, one of the things I love, I'm shaking everything, my legs. I love my legs because I always picture if all else fails, I can walk somewhere. <laughs> you know, I can walk somewhere. You know, the, and and this is not for anyone who may have troubles with trouble with mobility, but that's something that I always saw as great value. Now, some people may not like. We all got legs, okay? But where my mind is, since I was a little boy, I was always thinking post-apocalyptic as a little boy, and I think, well, if I have to walk into Mexico. What if I had to walk into Canada? <laughs> so I'm glad my legs work, right? Now you have your things. It could be your brain. You know, um, I never really played lotto. And when people used to be like, yo, you should play the number. I used to always say, this is my lotto. Every, all my friends know that. Like, yeah, you don't play. You know, I tried to play for a little bit, but I couldn't keep up with them tickets. I'm like, man, I ain't doing this no more. This is corny. You know what I mean? Like, here is where my lotto is, right between my ears. That's 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 where my work happens, right? Now that's what I value. That's that's a part of my wisdom of what I could perceive. And you have your own thing, you know. You, you everybody has something, you know. And some of us have more than one thing, you know. And you're going to realize the more that you're able to open your eyes to those things, and the more that you start functioning with heavenly wisdom, it gets real deep because the more you see. There's a metaphysical value to that, but don't don't we're not getting too deep. But the more that you that you can start functioning from heavenly wisdom, you'll start seeing things that you didn't see before. You start seeing openings. And you'll almost be like an entrepreneur, but just in terms of your life design. Like, oh, this could do that, I could use that for that, I could do that way, that way, that way. But that comes to wisdom. You know. And I'm not advocating procrastination for those of you who now say, Well, yeah, that's why I don't do things I think about. No, there's a there's a difference between you know, um, between procrastination and deliberation. You, you see, there is a time to move. There is a season to make things happen. And when you're in a line with heavenly wisdom, man, or spiritual wisdom, high spiritual wisdom. And I, when I say spirit, I ain't just talking about your spirit. You know, we got to grow up a little bit <laughs> beyond that. You know, we got to grow up a little bit beyond that. But when you're able to align with that, man, you're able to make some amazing things happen, you know? Um, so yeah, I just, I just wanted to share that. That's all, you know, for the most part, that's all. Um, and again, you guys been rocking pretty strong. I was only going to do 30 minutes. That's why I started later today. But, um, some of these points are so important (laughs) that I want to, I, I find myself wanting to give them to you in so many different ways, you know, um, from so many different angles. Um, 
because of the importance of them. So that's why, oh, here's a story, and here's this, and here's that, and here's that. Plus, we went off on that whole jazz thing. Well, I went off on the whole jazz thing. But like I said, I'm going to do a video about that at some point because we're losing things. We're losing arts. We're losing sciences. And some, and some of them we don't even realize our, our hand in them because of how people's ability and desire to rewrite history. Like I said, the, the, the LaRocchia guy saying that, like, yo, black musicians didn't invent jazz. Like, they were just reading the notes that we wrote. And, like, you bugging. <laughs> you are bugging. You know what I mean? Like, you, I know it's an old school term, you, you know, but no, that's not how it happened. And, you know, there has to be someone who stands up and speaks to these things. And even if I'm not a big jazz aficionado, just so you know. Um, I've never really been heavy into jazz like that, you know what I mean? But um, I respect the work that pioneers put down, man. I respect, man, I, I respect what they've done. You know, I was talking about that yesterday with a brother of mine. Um, we were talking about drummers, and I was telling him about Ronald Bruner um, Jr., you know, and he's, he's uh, if any of you are familiar with the artist Thundercat, he's his brother, you know, he's an amazing drummer. You know, Thundercat, of course, is an amazing bass player and just arranger and artist. Like both, and their father is a jazz musician. You know, um, they come from a musical le legacy. But um, you know, we were talking about another drummer called Tony Royster Jr. And um, oh, give thanks, Brandy. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you. Let me say it like that. You know. Um, but we were talking about Tony Royster Jr. And I was like, and he was like, oh, he would eat Tony Royster Jr. I was like, yeah, but you got to give credit to Tony Royster Jr. Because when have we ever heard drumming, like real drumming on a hip hop record? You know, when he did that song with Jay-Z, like that was incredible. Now, like then after that, people started using live drummers again on, um, Hip hop records, but like when he went crazy, that song, what was it? Um, maybe show me what you got. Hey, let me show me what you got, right? I don't remember the title, that might have been the title of the song. I don't remember. Right? He killed it. And again, we're not used to hearing peace, peace, Bobby Emanuel. We're not used to hearing that, that level of drumming on a hip-hop record, right? But then that opened the door for people like Thundercat and and, and, and all these who now are actually really playing um, Anderson Pack. People are actually showing, like, real musicianship. Um, Lucky Days. I mean, I could, I could just go. <laughs> Lucky Days, Anderson Pack. You know, all these people who are now showing musicianship underneath hip-hop. You know what I mean? So it's like, you gotta, yeah, Tony Royster Jr. and Tony Royster Jr. has been like, he was a pro, he was a child prodigy, so anybody follows him, but um, he was playing like that since he was like seven, eight years old. And you go on YouTube, you find old videos of him. He's a little boy, you know, and he's with the stick, and he's just killing it, you know, on stage and stuff. But um, peace, hoodoo occultism, you know. But you know, there's there's a Kamasi Washington, like there's a whole cadre. Of, um, and then, I mean, you gotta give credit to people like the Roots too, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, who who brought, but brought musicianship underneath hip hop. But they were playing like samples, you know. That's what made like Quest Love so amazing. Like he would play, and 
it sound like a sample because his time and everything was just so tight. But Tony Royster just went off on that song, right? And like I said, it, it, it opened the door to other things. So it's the same thing with jazz. You know, it's important to know these things because you get a sense of your soul, your soul expression. And every group has a spirit associated with it. So even us as Moors in America, there's a spirit of the Moors in America, right? So when you start to understand your spiritual and cultural contribution, it gives you an idea of not only your genius, because sometimes we're, we're always so bent towards the past and we're bent towards an, another place that we don't look inward enough to say, well, have we done anything genius? In recent years, you know, that that is that is noteworthy or is everything esoteric and abstract and we can't really totally prove it with primary evidence, you know. But, you know, so these things as they're happening, take a look at them, note them, you know. So even though I'm saying, yeah, Tony Royster Jr. doing a Jay-Z something like it may sound trivial, but, you know, but it's the same thing as like the original Dixie Jazz Band, um, Dixieland Jazz Band doing the first jazz recording in 1917 but not being the first jazz musicians but taking on that title or Paul Whiteman becoming the king of jazz like that's insane <laughs> and then when you find out like well no jazz came out of Congo Square voodoo ceremonies whoa so when I'm listening to jazz is this something deeper inside of that music that's always been inherently inside of that music or me telling you those instruments that what they called it the front line of jazz. Those instruments that comprise that front line, the coronet, uh, clarinet, uh, uh, trombone, you know, um, and coronet, trumpet, you know, in interchangeably. But, you know, um, and then like you have piccolo in certain groups as well. But, you know, just understanding like, well, what is the, what is the tonal nature of those particular instruments? Why not saxophone? You know what I mean? Things like that. So what, what is, what is the, the science of that? You know, um, and why were they using wood blocks and not snare drums and stuff like that? Of course, they didn't really have snares back then, but, you know, why wood blocks on early jazz recordings? What's the science of that? Is that related to, let's say, the kalimba, you know, or, or any other type of instrument? You know, and you're trying to just go through, you go through your own study, but, you know, that's wisdom. <laughs> that's the doing that we have to study and the things that we've done. All right, so we've had... Uh, ample enough uh, information <laughs> I think given today for you to command things and to you to, and for you to think about some long range planning now don't assume that everything's going to be there tomorrow today is the 7th the 8th I'm sorry I, I'm, I believe I started these segments on the 7th of September we're 30 days in so you know if I'm counting like that, you already know what's going to happen soon. <laughs> All right? So don't assume everything's going to be there when you want it to be there. You got to put your own planning in place. And here's the most important thing. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Don't just listen and, oh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Do something. Faith without works is dead. You got to do something. 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 You got to do but you got to plan. Do some long-range planning, man. Everything ain't about that little PUA money you're getting and, you know, what you're doing today or tomorrow. But, you know, really think about 
man, if this thing really does collapse, let's say you're 30 now, you're 35 years old. If this thing really does collapse, what will life look like for me as an elder 40 years from now or, or 30 years from now what, or 20 years from now? You know, what, what, how will I, will I really be able to survive inside of this environment? And I'm not talking about like this civil war and stuff like that. Um, but I'm saying like financially. Will I be able to really survive and sustain myself the way I have been, especially when the announcement finally comes that we ain't got no money, no more money in the Social Security fund? It's been gone. It's been gone for a while now. We've been pulling from from other budgets and they don't have it anymore. So what happens when that announcement comes? You know, have I really thought about how I'm establishing myself or do I think that the lifestyle I'm holding right now will always last? You know, um, for some of you. If you lost your job today, how long could you sustain yourself, especially if you're a little older, if you're you're 40 plus or 35 plus, and you know, well, no one's really quick to hire you, you know, as you get older in age. Um, Do I have a a sensible contingency plan? Am I willing to live with the options? Okay, maybe I got it. I got I'm leasing a car. I turn that lease in, man, and get me a three, four thousand dollar hoop ride or no car. You know, am I willing to go? live down south with family or, or somewhere else or you know whatever it is but these are the things that you should be considering you know um and i'm not trying to put fear into anything like that but you know like like it says you know um pray to allah and and tie up your camel you know what i mean so you know like yeah we praying we, we we're, we're, we're willing for the best and everything but i'm gonna tie this camel up you know what i mean nobody steals it or runs you know so make sure you're tying up your camel all right everyone be well today this is chief yuya signing out be safe be well and protect one another peace 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 peace